How are you today? All right. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, we are in week two of our series on uh, Exodus. If you weren't here at the beginning of the service, if you straggled in, I'm Tim, by the way. Hello. Uh, This week, um, I found myself listening on my drives to and from to a, a comedian named Gary Goleman. And he, he, did a, he did a comedy special a couple years ago called The Great Depression. And he was talking about his own struggle with depression and anxiety. And that got my wheels spinning about my own anxiety stuff that I have dealt with over the years. And uh, if, if you're not a stranger to me or me to you, you know that I've dealt with uh, anxiety and and one of the things that I don't talk about a whole lot with that is the social anxiety aspect to anxiety. I know that's a lot of anxiety over and over again. I wonder how many times I can say the word anxiety in one sentence or run-on sentence. Anyway, um, I, I've often over the years told people I'm an introvert, and, and I, I think I classify as one, but I'm weird because, as I like to tell people, I'm a people-loving introvert, I just need rest after the fact. And part of the reason is, is not necessarily because, like, I'm super shy around people. It's often because in the lead up to most social interaction, I'm often stressing about how the social exchange is going to go around. Like, like if, if I get invited to, like, a large party or something like that, like, I don't know exactly how I'm going to operate, how the con- con- conversations are going to go, and all that sort of thing. And, and I'm going to give you uh, advice that I'm going to ask you not to use. But if you ever want to really get under my skin and get my anxiety going, hit me up on text out of the blue and ask me to meet within a few hours and don't tell me why. <laughs> I used to think, by the way, that that was really not going to go well. Like if... Like if I, you know, when I was uh, working at my pre- the previous church, if like our lead minister, Dee Dee, were to ask me to, if I could meet later in the day, I used to think that that would really like get me going. But I have actually found that as a lead minister, if a staff person asks me to do that, I get more nervous than I did when my, when my boss asked me to do that sort of thing. Because I sit there and I fret about, like, what is it that they want to talk about? Are they about to quit? Did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? How are they going to, like, I start going through all of this stuff, and I don't always know if I'm going to be able to handle the situation. I am a control freak, and I love to be prepared, not only for a situation, but I love to know that I'm going to be able to handle the situation well. And years ago, I, I learned, my, my counselor told me, like, you know, you desperately want to get rid of this anxiety thing, but the bad thing about that is if you lose that part of you, you're going to lose what actually makes you good at the things that you do if you lose this sort of thing. Because I give a lot of thought into what I'm going to say or what I'm going to hear other people say and how I'm going to care about other people in situations. And that's a good thing unless you have anxiety because then you sit there and you, you fret about all the things that could go wrong in a situation. Now, the reason I tell you that is you may not deal with anxiety on the level that I do or, or social anxiety in that particular realm, but I'd be willing to bet 
that all of us have situations or circumstances that cause us some level of trepidation, where we think, I don't want to say yes to going into doing that thing or having that conversation or being a part of that situation. And I think that not only do we, we all have kind of those situations, whether they be, I don't want to enter into that conversation, I don't know if I can handle that circumstance, I don't know if I can go to that event, I don't know if I can finish the job, I don't know if I can get started on the job. All of us probably have situations where we don't know if we can measure up to the moment that's at hand. And that might cause us to say, nah, I'm out. I'm going to bow out of that. And when you get to the story of Moses in the Exodus, it starts off, if you are, were an ancient reader or even a modern reader, and, and we, we read at the beginning here, we went through the entirety of chapter 2, largely because I couldn't decide which passage to pick from this week. So you're going to get a lot of it. Um, but in chapter 2, you get the background of Moses, and it starts out in a pretty miraculous way. Last week, when we looked at the story in chapter 1, we, we noticed that Pharaoh came up with all sorts of ways to thwart the growth of the Israelite people, to subdue them, to keep them from being able to, in the future, rise up, join other nations around, and challenge the power of the Egyptian people. And at first, he put them under forced labor, then outright slavery. Then he came up with a quiet plan to discard and murder the baby boys that were born. And when the midwives of the Hebrew women figured out how to get around that, he outright just decided, all right, we're going to make this a rule that you got to kill all the baby boys of the Hebrews. Not really a good thing. That's the backdrop to the birth of Moses. And so when you get to chapter 2, you end up seeing that Moses uh, is, is born and his mother hides him for as long as she can. But then when she figures out she can't hide him any longer, she decides to put him in a weave together with, with material and tar, a basket, and, and cover him up and put him on the Nile River and just hope that something not bad will happen. And as Moses in the basket is floating down the river, the daughter of Pharaoh spots him. And she, she goes and has one of her servants go to find a Hebrew woman, and, and, and the Hebrew woman ends up being Moses' biological mother, and she nurses Moses until he's older, and then the daughter of Pharaoh ends up making Moses her son. And I don't know if you caught when we read the story earlier, but uh, notice that his biological mom is not the one that names him. It is the daughter of Pharaoh that gives him the name Moses. And the reason the story tells us that he's given the name is because she pulled him or drew him out of the water. Which is really interesting when you get into like the Hebrew of the text here. Because 
what we end up getting is a play on that name, the idea that Moses was drawn out. It's really well written. It's called foreshadowing. This guy's going to do a little bit of drawing out of his own by the help of God. But it doesn't start that way because when he becomes an adult, he ends up in a precarious situation. At some point in his life, he's discovered that he, in fact, is a Hebrew and not an Egyptian. And when he finds that out and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating one of the Hebrew slaves, Moses, in secret, so he thinks, goes and murders the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. Unfortunately for Moses, it wasn't all that secret. His own people saw what he did. Because when he goes and confronts them for their little infighting, they say, who are you to tell us what to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And then it turns out Pharaoh knows and wants his head. So he goes in and runs. And he goes to a place called Midian. And he ends up a bit heroic there too. Again, if you caught the story as we were reading it, uh, when the daughters of Ruel come to get water for their flocks, some shepherds come and harass them, try to scatter them away. And Moses sees this and he goes to their defense. And this, of course, gets him on good terms with their father. He's invited in and uh, Ruel gives him his daughter Zipporah, and they have a son. And that's the story of Moses. And, they, and Moses, it says, names his child, and he gives him the name that he gives him because he says, I was an immigrant or an alien in a foreign land. Moses has come to terms with the fact that his upbringing was a bit of a lie. He was raised as an Egyptian. Even the daughters of Ruel tell their father that an Egyptian man saved them. But he's not an Egyptian. He's an Israelite, a Hebrew, part of an enslaved people. And as chapter 2 ends, it doesn't end with that acknowledgement by Moses, but it ends with an acknowledgement from God. God has heard the groaning and the cries of the people, the enslaved people, his enslaved people. And it says that God understood their cries. And so Moses is set up as this person that's come from a miraculous birth and miraculous childhood sort of situation. He evaded death thanks to his mother's cunning and the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter. And he grows up, and he eventually realizes that he's part of this enslaved people. And when he tries to remedy the situation, when he gets a bit of maybe bravery or brazenness, it ends up backfiring. He does something he shouldn't do. He commits murder, and he has to flee for it. And then he gets heroic again, and he ends up getting a wife out of his heroism. And so Moses is this person that's come up against the odds and survived. And he's got a bit of a bravery or hero streak. And so you think, this is the guy. 
This is the guy. It's all set up. This is the guy that's going to be the responder to the cries of the people. Right? This is the guy. He's brave. He can do it. Right? Are you catching the fact that the story is going to turn? Because then we hit chapter 3. And that's going to be our main text today. It's a very famous passage. It's the, the, the passage where, uh, to use a theological term, Moses experiences God in the form of a theophany. It's when God reveals himself in a bit of a way that's different than like his actual self. He comes in the form of a burning bush, except that the bush doesn't get extinguished by the flame. A very odd thing. If you saw it, you'd maybe go check it out, or, or you'd run away scared. Moses checks it out, and he ends up getting more than he bargained for when he does. So I want you to follow along with me in Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro. Yes, that's right. Ruel is also known as Jethro. It could be a bit confusing here. Same guy. Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. Horeb, by the way, is another name for Mount Sinai. It's pretty important in the story here. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out what the bush, why the bush isn't burning up. And when the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them for the Egyptians, or from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. 
God continued, Say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. Now, we don't have time to read all the rest of this, so I encourage you later to go back and read the rest of chapter 3. Because if you do, Moses doesn't stop his line of questioning there. He asks God why anyone will believe him. And God performs some miraculous wonders before Moses to show him, if you do these things, I'm going to be with you and perform these miraculous things in front of you as well. And then Moses basically says, uh, hey, I don't know if you've met me before, but I'm not exactly the greatest public speaker in the world. <laughs> to which God says, uh, I'm the person that gives you the ability to speak in the first place. I think I've got this. And Moses just continues to have excuse after excuse after excuse. If, if you're someone that, that likes to read stories and stories about heroes, this is a bit of a curveball in the story. Because up until this point, Moses has evaded death as a baby. And he's grown into a man that's willing to step up into the situation when situations get difficult. And now, he's meeting the God of his ancestors. Which, by the way, this is something to consider here. Moses grew up an Egyptian, even though he was an Israelite. If you know anything about the Israelite people and what God has called them to, they're really, really big on sharing their story generation after generation after generation. And it's possible that Moses has had some gaps in the story for himself because he didn't grow up amongst his people. He grew up hearing the stories of the Egyptians, of their might, of their power in the world. And so everything down to, I don't even know your name, becomes a reason not to comply with God. Moses even had a bit of bravery going to look at a burning bush that wasn't burning up. And yet the moment God speaks and tells him to go, his response is different than his father Abraham. If you remember back in Genesis 12. See, when God called Abram to get up and leave the land of his fathers, he went along. Moses, nah, I'm going to give you every excuse to try to get out of this one. I don't know your name. I don't think the people will believe me. I'm not a good enough speaker. I don't have enough power to show them. What if Pharaoh doesn't change his mind? Every excuse that he can come up with to get out of the situation that for whatever reason he doesn't want to go through. And of course, if you read the rest of the story, and we're going to keep reading through the story in this series, you, you discover eventually that, that Moses relents and he goes 
but only because God decides that he's going to send Aaron to go along with him. Aaron is actually going to be the mouthpiece. I know Aaron gets kind of etched out if you've ever seen the, is it DreamWorks that did the Prince of Egypt movie before? Everyone forgets about Aaron. Moses' chickening out kind of gets him a bit of a back seat, but he's still the one that God wants to go, and so he goes reluctantly. And so I want us to sit and I want us to think about this story for a moment. Because Moses is called to do something that he doesn't want to do. And he has all the reasons in the world to think that he is not capable of doing what he is called to do. And I think Moses in his story is someone we can relate to. And there is hope in this story. And the reason that we stopped the story today at the part that we did is because there's something about the name God gives Moses to tell the people is his name This should provide us all the hope that we need to fulfill our calling in being disciples of Jesus. Even though, as I think I established at the beginning, we all have situations and circumstances in life that cause us trepidation and the inability to have the willingness to say yes to going and doing the things that we ought to do that we're called to do, that we're given the opportunity to do, to meet the challenges, the opportunities that lie before us. The name of God, I am who I am, is a confounding name. The Hebrew word behind it is literally kind of the verb to be. But it has a bit of a connotation beyond just to be. It's got a past, present, and future connotation. And God sums that up when he clarifies for Abraham. He says, tell them I am is sending you. But then he says, actually tell them this too. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is sending you. Or better yet, Moses, the God that was, the God that is, and the God that will always be is sending you. See, when Moses hears the call from God, his focus is on his own limitations his own inabilities, his own trepidation as a reason not to go. The reason that God gives him to go and to follow through is not because, oh, Moses, you're all right. You're a pretty good speaker. Oh, you can do this. I believe in you. He doesn't give Moses a pep talk. He doesn't say, Moses, you're much better than you think you are. He doesn't say, Moses, don't worry, you've got the power from within you. No, God's whole rationale in telling Moses to follow through on his calling is very simple. I am sending you. Your might won't make the situation right. Mine will. 
There is hope for all of us in that. Many of us, over time, come, we, we hear the, the teachings of Scripture, like, I don't know, the Sermon on the Mount that we just went through. Or, or we know the calling God has put on our lives. You know, the Great Commission, go make disciples. Or, or we know the right and the wrong that we should do and not do. Or we know the love that we should show. The empathy we should give. The hard conversation to have. The thing we should put our hands and our hearts and our minds to. And yet too often, we settle for less because we're too concerned that we won't measure up. And we'd rather not go. And at best, we'd rather God send somebody else. I can't make disciples. Can you send the preacher instead? I can't have that conversation with my family member. Can you go get a therapist to talk to them? Some of them need it. Anyway. We, we have the same excuses that Moses did. But here's the, the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Is I can do what I'm called to do because I am not I am. I know, it sounds kind of funny, right? I can do what I'm called to do because I am not I am. I can do the things that God calls me to do, not because I'm good at any of it, but because I have a power greater than myself that is always with me. Let's take the Great Commission for a moment. I talk about it all the time. You might get bored hearing me talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it a lot. Sorry. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he issues one more command, and we don't often think of it as a command. But he says, and remember, that's an imperative. That's not just a suggestion. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. (laughs) You see, the whole I am with you isn't just a nice thing for God to say to Moses through the burning bush. Jesus said the same thing to his disciples. He basically said, hey guys, gather together. I know that I told you that I was going to be crucified and on the third day rise again, but you all chickened out and ran away when I got arrested. But I'm bringing you back anyway after you've failed miserably. By the way, let's not forget about that. After you failed miserably, you're back together and I'm still going to tell you to do the thing I plan to tell you to do even if you'd have stuck around which is to go make disciples the exact same way I just did for you. But you're not going to do it on your own. I will be with you. It gets even better. Did you know in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this statement, I am, about himself all the time? In fact, at one moment... When he's in a real conflict with the religious leaders, 
over their devotion to God and their dismissal of him as the Messiah. Do you know what Jesus says? He says, before Abraham was born, I am. It's the Greek rendition of the Hebrew that's used in this passage. See, God is wildly consistent. God often asks us to do hard things, to go to hard places, to have hard conversations, to love those that we don't want to love, to care for those we're too proud to care for, to serve those we think we're too good to serve. And he says these things and calls us to these things not because we're good enough and capable of doing it. On the contrary, we're miserably bad at doing all of it ourselves. But he says, I'm calling you to do it because I'm going to be with you in the process. I'm going to be with you to prepare you for the hard talk. I'm going to be with you when you go into that hard situation. I'm going to help you when no one else is doing their job the right way, but out of integrity and love for me, you want to work hard. I'm going to be with you even though you want to fall asleep at your desk. I'm going to keep you up if you'll stick with me. I can do what I am called to do because I am not I am. The best news ever is that we are not God. He is. And we don't have to rely on our own strength and our own might and our own ability and our own power to do what we're called to do. See, that's the trouble with my little social anxiety thing that I was telling you about before. I've been called out by people that love me over the years for it. I told you I'm a control freak. I don't like to go in unprepared. I like to know what the other person's going to say hours before they're going to say it so that I can already be ready with how to deal with it. I know, it's, it's worth laughing at me over, trust me. I, I, I'm, I'm wired that way, and, and there can be good to that. But the problem with that, though, is, is too often, yes, even your minister can fail to remember this. It isn't about me. It isn't about my ability, my strength. It's about what God has done for me, what he can do through me, if I remember that I can do what I'm called to do because I am not him. You are not him. We are not him. Yet he never leaves us. And that is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful message. We can sit and we can get beside ourselves reading the story of Moses and be like, well, that's a little bit weird. I thought this guy was brave and now he doesn't want to go. Or you can read it and say, oh my gosh, there's hope. I'm just as bad as Moses. And God still stuck with him. And that means he will stick with me too. As long as I remember that he is always with me even to the end of the age. Hopefully you grab communion on your way in this morning. Uh, we take communion every week.
because we not only celebrate what God has done through His Son, Jesus, we not only celebrate that God loves us because of His Son, Jesus, but we celebrate that God is with us because of His Son, Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to take a moment and to reflect on that wonderful reality that God is with us. That no matter how high the stakes, how hard the challenges, how low we may feel, God never leaves us. And that is to be celebrated. So please take a moment to contemplate that. And after that moment, we'll take communion together as a church family. is given for us. And I invite you in the same way to take and drink from this cup. This is his blood which is poured out for us. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord God, we thank you for another opportunity to worship you. We thank you that you and do not leave us to our own devices in life. That you empower us with your spirit. That you set us alongside one another in your church. And that you call us to a high and lofty and honorable calling. To be your children. To be light. To be salt. And to make other followers of you. And God, I pray that you will help us to be all of those things that you call us to be. Not by our own power, not by our own strength, but by your power. And help us to always remember that even in the hard times, you never leave us, you never forsake us. You are always with us. You are who you are. And we thank you for being who you are. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.